welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Jason Washburn, co-owner of Talon Strikes Studios, the publisher of several games such as Night Market, Shadow Network, Vinyl, Winterborn, and many, many more. Jason has also consulted with several other game publishers. Jason, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Hey, what's going on? I'm good, man. I'm good. <laughs> so when I was reading your bio, and I wanted to save this for a question because I didn't want to put this uh, right in my intro, mm-hmm. but you studied uh, as opera? Is, is, do yeah. I get that right? Yeah, yeah. So I was raised in a family of uh, musicians. My dad was a high school music teacher, 33 years. My mom taught kindergarten, but in the home, she taught piano, voice, flute. Uh, she still runs her studio. She's 78, but she still has something like 25 students. Um, they, she teaches year round and then does a big uh, shindig at the end of every year. So that's kind of how I was raised in theater and everything. Um, and uh, when I was a uh, junior, after my junior year, I went to um, what used to be uh, Muncie, Indiana for the International Thespian Conference. And um, you go and audition and it's kind of like a cattle call. There's, there's probably 55 representatives from 55 different uh, universities, conservatories and whatnot out in the audience. And they bring you in about 30 at a time and you sit in the front row and you practice beforehand, but you get one minute to sing and you get one minute to do a monologue. There's two minutes and uh, they just, they don't even call your name. They just call your number and you get up, you walk on stage. My company has walked out and you go, man, drop of a hat. They start, you sing and you do your uh, monologue. And then they offer, they offer you scholarships based on that. Plus your, you know, you turn in a grade packet to them and your resume and stuff, everything you've done, all the parts you played. And then, man, you wait like two days. And then like down at the bottom in the basement, they have this big board yep. and then you have your name and they have all the colleges that have written in, they want to interview you underneath your name. And that's, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of how it goes. So, uh, so you're straight up singing opera, like you're up there and you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. oh wow. No yeah, kidding. Yeah. That's what I studied. So I went to Northern Arizona university and, uh, studied vocal performance, which is, basically classical opera uh and did that and then from that i joined the army you can you can put those two together there you go right so So you're singing the marches i guess as they're doing the marches you're the guy at the back doing all the i I did and i sang the national anthem at my graduation at fort knox um i was a i was an m1a1 tanker on the m1a1 abrams main battle tank Um, so yeah, when we graduated, they, um, they found out I could sing, man, you don't want drill sergeants to find that kind of stuff (laughs) out, but it ended up, they found out I could sing. So they made me sing all the time. And when it came to the end of basic, which was 22 weeks for a a tanker, you go to one stop unit training, OSET. And, um, the end of that, they, 
first sergeant called me down to the orderly room and was like, uh, all right, they said you could sing. Sing right now. Sing the national anthem. Like, right now? Yeah, right now. Okay. So I sang the national anthem for him, and he was like, you're a hero. You're going to sing. So I was the first person to sing the national anthem at uh, uh, Fort Knox graduation for OSET, like in, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. It was it's pretty crazy. It was that interesting, man. Huh. Yeah. And, and I didn't have to march. I sat up on the stage with all the generals and crap. And then they brought the colors out. I stood up, sang, and then sat back down. Every, all the other Joes had to do the pass and review, you know. I didn't have to do that. That's crazy. And then how long did you, did you serve for after that? Uh, four years. I did four years uh, for Riley, Kansas, and did a six-month uh, tour in Bosnia because I was mid-90s yeah. Army. Uh, so prior uh, to 9-11, um, but after the Gulf War. So I was right in the middle of that. And then I got out of that. And uh, now I work for the government. So oh, that's, that's <laughs> what crazy. are going to do? And then how did you position, how, like, how did you pivot into like board games? Like, like I noticed from your, again, from your bio, yeah, you played a lot in the eighties and then in the nineties, I guess you started getting into the, can you walk us through that? Cause that, that's yeah. kind of like original generation of the <clears throat> indie movement, right. Is like the nineties. Oh yeah. So as a kid, um, my parents were teachers. So, uh, they were, they always did a good job of making sure we had stuff to do, but you know, uh, video games, very limited in the eighties. I was yeah. an early seventies kid, um, born. So they always got cool artsy type things for us. Like, um, and I've seen some of that stuff like on eBay or some of the TikToks where they're like, check out this retro 80s stuff. And yeah. um, so they would get stuff like that. And one of the things my mom would buy a lot of was board games, but she would buy like the not run of the mill stuff. They would get odd things like it, games that come up in weirdness. And I'm like, oh, I had that game. Oh, I had that game. So I kind of, I play a lot, you know, um, it was kind of interesting that way. And then we kind of fell into a groove like one summer um, and got into Dungeons and Dragons and really kind of like just took over the rules, made our own thing. But we just, for four months, we made all of our own dungeons on graph paper, right? Oh, that's cool. And so that's kind of how it started uh, for me in, in that niche. And then in uh, 89, I played Space Hulk. And that was like, that was it. That was like, you know, head explosion yeah. is cool. You had miniatures, you had board gaminess. Um, and uh, I had an uncle who was also um, into it. So he played like advanced squad leader, you know, paper games. Yeah. And he talked about them. And then he had some of the Avalon Hill stuff uh old school stuff um and so i i kind of played uh some of that and then uh you know played in the chess at in high school and I was fortunate the guy i was really good friends with in high school his dad was arizona state chess champion for like a lot of years in a row so we would go over to his house on a friday night and there are three of us three of us that kind of hung out together and he would be playing three games of chess against all three of us at one time, <laughs> running them. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of like what opened the door for me. And then in the 90s, uh, 
I played a ton of uh, Warhammer, uh, 40K, uh, Fantasy, um, Dorkamorka, um, you know, uh, Gothic, um, just everything that kind of came out um, then. Necromunda came out then. Um, and that kind of really kept me going and, and doing it. And uh, due to my theater background, and that pushed me when I got out of service, I got back to Phoenix and got really into um, cosplay. And so then, you know, that's a lot of like-minded people that are kind of into all that same kind of stuff. So um, just kind of played a lot of card games and stuff and then got really heavy into EverQuest, played that for, man, eight years, pretty hardcore, like 70 hours a week, hardcore, Um, ran a huge 200 person guild rated four nights a week just uh kind of it was it was fun it was time consuming but fun um and then all that just continued to extrapolate and 2000s you know board games kind of started to take a different approach to how they did things late 90s early 2000s and um you know i never played settlers of Catan though you know people are like oh i played Catan, and then that no, I never, never did that. So I kind of went uh, different routes, but, you know, Games Workshop was a very real thing for me from, mm-hmm. you know, I bought Space Hulk and, woo, you know, so that was always something I was, I was painting minis and doing stuff. So, I mean, a lot of people are in that world. Yeah. They play board games. And so it's just kind of how it, how it happened for me. How did that pivot then into Talent Strikes Studios? So where, where did Talent Strikes come from? So I, I guess, you know, you you kind of play these things and you do these things. And you I think everybody in their mind, like you probably do this when you play games. So I don't know if I like that rule. And some mm-hmm. people house rule stuff they take out, but some people take that further, right? And they try to say, okay, if I was to make a game, what would I do? And so it kind of started that way um, and uh, just, you know, tinkering around here and there. And then uh, through theater, I met a guy who's a writer and um, he came up with this idea of like, what if, you know, we make a card game and uh, it's about, um, you know, the kids in high school, right? Like, so if you think Mm. back to the eighties, you have, you know, your, jocks and your geeks and your stoners and right you have all these groups so what if we kind of do that and so that kind of continued to morph so i started kind of working on my own stuff and ultimately that kind of turned into this card game uh called click so based on high school clicks Hmm. and i think i ran that kickstarter in 2011 so kickstarter had just opened i mean it was pretty brand new and uh i was like yep so I, 2010, I formed Talent Strike Studios, and um, it's funny because I wanted it to be Talent Strike Studios, no S, no plural. Yeah. And so I'm at the bank doing the LLC paperwork, and the guy that files it, he thought I said Talent Strikes Studios, which is actually named after an EverQuest character. His last name is Talent Strikes. He's an elf. Oh, nice. EverQuest. So that's where the name comes from. But um, so it ended up being talent strikes, plural. And I got the paperwork back and I was like, no, <laughs> I was crushed. 
but uh, we, you know, I didn't want to file all the rigmarole changes. So that's, you know, so designing your own card game kind of led into that and, um, you know, made friends with some people here. And it was interesting because Arizona was like hotbed of weirdness. Then you had uh, crash games um, at the time, which is defunct now. Uh, Patrick ran that. But uh, Gameland Games, mm-hmm. uh, which is Tiny Epic and all that. Michael Coe. Uh, whom I'm eating lunch with tomorrow, in fact, but uh, he's here, uh, Seth Jaffe, um, and uh, um, Tasty Minstrel came out of that, uh, Tucson, and then like the first really big Kickstarter was um, Mojo um, uh, with, um, God, what's the game? It's a dice game with a planet, and I can't, it's escaping me for the moment, but that was all here, like hmm. Tucson and Phoenix. And so it seemed very, you know, these guys were doing it. It seemed very doable um, uh, to do it. And um, so, you know, you go in there with your game and you put it down the table and you have these people, right? That are yeah. um, uh, David Short was another one. You know, he's got a number of games out and they play your game and they're like, yep, okay, dude, work on it. <laughs> and they back across the table, right? So, um, but yeah, you know, so you work on it and that's just kind of how town strike started. And then, uh, I tried, uh, two kickstarters under, uh, a different banner, mm. um, and they didn't go. And then that's when I decided, you know, I'm not going to involve anybody else. I'm just gonna, just gonna go. And, uh, that's, I had started working on the gangster game, Hooch, which is a card game. And took that to Indianapolis and played that with people and their first play test hall. And so that's just kind of how Talent Strike started. Just um, not something you were like, all right, I'm going to make a company and I'm going to make a game. And it was yeah. just, just kind of was much more organic. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like when I even look at like 10 Rollback Games, which is my company, it was the same oh. thing. I had a game I was going to put out. And then it's like, okay, well, I got to give it kind of who's it from right <laughs> like it's right you know so we end up creating an identity which is tin robot games and then it just kind of takes a life of its own from there which is kind yeah. of cool and then so you had in your bio says that you co-own this so who did you end up partnering up with then with uh, talent strikes so i the first successful kickstarter i had was house of borgia and that was a game that michael co and gamelin was gonna do and then they decided not to but he calls me on the phone he says hey would you like to do this? It's a Scott Holmes game. You know, Scott Holmes has a lot of games out at that point. I'm like, well, you know, I'm like nobody. Scott Holmes is going to want me to publish his game. Yeah. So he hooked me up with a phone call. I talked with Scott. Awesome. Down to earth, dude. Just, you know, he was like, you know, it sounds like you got everything in order. I mean, you know, we kind of had an interview and he felt good about that. And, and, um, so I just kind of uh, did that and how Sabors you went. And, it, and uh, you know, Michael helped me uh, make sure I understood what I was, you know, supposed to do, how to do it, when to do it, and those kinds of things. He had a couple of successful Kickstarters at that point. So um, just kind of just kind of worked out uh, from there. And I ran that one. And then I ran uh, King's Champion. Um, and then I picked up vinyl at uh, BGG. Eric mm. Alvarado designed this game about 
uh, records, collecting records in a record store. And I thought, that's cool. You know, I, I still have a lot of vinyl. I collect vinyl. Um, and at the time, vinyl was kind of making a little bit of a comeback. And all of a sudden, it appeared back in Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Target was selling vinyl records. And um, so I picked that game up and, and ran it and had a successful Kickstarter with that one. Um, and uh, ultimately, that turned into a partnership. And so now Eric is half owner. Mm. Um, uh, he, he just, uh, the money that he would have made off um, vinyl, uh, he just said, hey, you know, I won't take that. Can we just put that back into the company? And I'd like to take a little bit bigger of a role. And so, um, you know, I mean, I knew him. We had worked together for about a year at that point and produced a game. And okay. So we... Uh, gave him half the company and uh, we just kind of started from there um, and uh, he really has a different mind when it comes to design and how that works um, he, he's real good at it um, and just comes up with some great stuff and uh, so the partnership worked real well we have good skill sets that mesh so how do you divide up the responsibilities in that? So like, I, cause I know you guys there, you have a combination of games that, that are your games, right. That you guys have designed. And then you have mm -hmm. other games that you're publishing, you know, of yeah. other, people, other people's games. How do you divide up that responsibility? So is he taking on more of a designer kind of a role developer kind of role? He, he does. Um, he does a lot more of the development. Now we'll play stuff. We round table stuff. And then, we bring other designers in, uh, fortunate, like um, uh, Brian, for instance, who did Merchants of the Dark Road. He did Freshwater Fly, Coldwater Crown. Uh, Merchants probably his biggest game. Um, but he did Winterborn for, I picked, signed Winterborn uh, from him. And uh, so when we, when we play games, when we're testing games out, I'll bring people in like that to do that. And Eric, you know, works with them, talks with them, and we get a bunch of ideas written down, what works, what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then Eric kind of takes it from there. We'll sign games, and then we have so many games that there are games that kind of like I run point on and games that he runs point on. Um, but we cross over a mesh and play stuff. And then like the vinyl stuff, we pretty much keep in-house. Eric mm -hmm. designs it, and then we play it, and then, you know, talk about it. Um, you know, what to cut, what to keep. Um, but I would say, yeah, he's definitely lead developer in the company. Uh, I do a lot more of the customer service stuff. I run the Kickstarters. I do all the Kickstarter updates. Um, so, I, you know, I build, uh, I'm a graphic designer. I went back to school in 2010, wow. got a degree in graphic design, visual communications. So for the first couple of games, I did all that. Um, we've, can bring in some help now that's expensive, but, uh, we do that. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we kind of just share it, at at that thing, um, and, and kind of run it that way, uh, and kind of help out where needed, um, kind of thing. Okay. It's like a hodgepodge. Yeah. Well, that's cool that it works out well that you guys can kind of have your own lanes but still kind of have a good cohesive relationship right mm. in, in building that that company mm. um and then so you've got 
you know, quite the portfolio that you guys have established now, right? So I think I've uh, seen online, you've got 10 projects on the horizon. There was 11 projects under Kickstarter under, under this, uh, this company name. And you mentioned you had two mm-hmm. before that in 11, I think 10 had funded. So you've got a lot again, have you got, how are you guys handling your warehousing or how are you handling kind of your ongoing sales? So once the Kickstarter is done, are you producing enough inventory to then kind of yeah. carry it or what's, what's the, um, so, um, not, not, I mean, uh, we're not printing 5,000 games or anything, uh, but we're, we're printing over sure. And then, uh, we use hit point sales, uh, friendly local game stores to buy direct yeah. from us. Um, we haven't hit distribution yet. Really. Uh, it's, I, it's a tough nut to crack sometimes. I mean, you know, you yeah. see different people that get different things that do different things, um, and you never know what that's going to be really for you. Um, I mean, we're still looking for a six figure Kickstarter. I've done, like you said, uh, quite a few of them in, in yeah. vinyl, there's, you know, seven games and, and they're not just reskins. They're standalone games now that, you know, they're their own thing. You play masters of metal, you play that game differently than you play vinyl bass or you play, uh, the holiday version or you play jukebox, which is just a two player vinyl. Um, so it's, it's really interesting, uh, from that standpoint, but yeah, that's, that's how we, we have done it. Um, and, uh, you know, like pre-sales for vinyl are really, really strong. So, um, that game will come in. If you're a Kickstarter backer, you're going to get your, your game. If you're not a Kickstarter backer, that's going to go out to friendly local game stores, but it's almost that print run. That's like, we're getting on the boat now is at, there won't be much left yeah. after it goes out to what the pre-sales are. So between the Kickstarter and the pre-sales we have done, um, there's not going to be much left uh, of it. Um, we, we're going to be at Gen Con. Hopefully it arrives by Gen Con. And if Gen Con is strong, then it'll, it'll be gone after Gen Con until we can reprint it and bring it back. And is the plan um, for reprints, is it mainly through Kickstarter or will you just do straight up reprints and then just put out a, a book? It, if we can do straight up reprints, we will with shipping and, and uh, containers costing what they cost. Now, uh, I would have, if you would ask me that four years ago, yeah, because a 20 foot container was $5,000. Yeah. yeah. Now it's $20,000. You know, if you want a 40 foot container, it's almost double that. Uh, it's, it's a lot of money now. Um, so for you to be able to generate that kind of funds up front to just bring your games over, uh, you know, it's, it's no longer something that, oh, hey, we'll just bring a game over. Um, you, I mean, you, you need a lot more cabbage now to do that. So oh, yeah. uh, for a while, yeah, Kickstarter is going to be it for us. But um, the next set of games are just, they're, they're, uh, they're on a different level. I mean, we've, you know, we have a stable of games, I like to call it now, um, that are strong. Uh, and this is going to just take another notch up in the yeah. next stuff. You're, you're, when I look at at least the most recent kind of swath of games that you guys have put out, most of them look like they're Euros, right? And, mm-hmm. and, but when I hear your, your background is RPG, right? So you got yeah. into the industry through RPG. Yeah. 
why the decision to go euros was it kind of following the the trends or did you change kind of evolve over time in terms of your own personal likes and dislikes in, in games and that what that's what led you to kind of to uh the euros yeah we i mean you know you eric and i talk about that do we make games we want to make do we make games we like or do we make games that we think everybody else will like yeah. um and euros are certainly a a niche you know um, there are games that kind of hit multiples, right? So you have a Euro-esque game, but has other things in it. Yeah. Um, and some of our games are much more uh, Euro-based. Uh, um, so I, I think just based off of what is out there. So, you know, I mean, when we design a game, you know, we kind of just go off what we like, but um, you know, for instance, Byline or Salon de Paris, these are Euro style games, but that's what the designer designed. And when we're looking at a game to pick up and it's pitched to us, uh, this is something we want. This is something that'll work well. Um, you know, Winterborn, for instance, you know, uh, Brian does more Euro type stuff, but that was pitched and, and I was like, oh, I got to make this game. So it wasn't, I didn't hone in on it because it was euro but i mean that has deck building it has kingdom building has some other stuff that um kind of fits in there whereas like uh salon de paris is very you know it's it's pretty just right down that euro line worker placement tile laying you're managing your tiles you're making paintings you're hanging those paintings in the louvre i mean and it's all euro based stuff i mean and byline is even, you know, one step up from that. Same with Night Market. Night Market is really heavy Euro. That's a great game, by the way. I just played that one uh, about a month and a half ago. Someone brought it to our game night. Oh, not Public Market, you mean? No, Night Market. It was Night Market. Okay. Yeah, it was. Okay. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Night Market. I was looking at the board on your site. It, it, yeah, it had to be Night Market because it had the sushi and the bubble tea and things like that, right? So, oh, okay. Then that was a prototype. No, was it? No. Yeah, it's not out yet. Yeah. Yeah. Ha, so, then it has to be the market because I think he had got it off of Kickstarter. So this has had to be then maybe so we have we have we have a market series. We do. Okay. So public market was the first one, night market is the second one. And then we have another one, Bangkok market that has work that we're working on. That's not up yet, but that's uh, on boats and stuff. Well, but, it must have been the first one then. Yeah, public market is polyominoes in a fishing so yeah. that was that was done by the folks that um uh they run flat out games so before mm. they made calico we signed public market from them uh so molly johnson stankwich and then uh uh rob um sean stankwich and then uh so they run that so they've done calico cascadia verdant was their latest one um, but they designed that game and we published it and it's polyominoes. And now there are about 15 copies of night market out there. Um, they're prototype versions that we sent out. It might've been a prototype. I don't know. It, it, it looked exactly like what was on your site, but that's, uh, if you're talking bubble tea, that's that game. So yeah. you have workers that you put on the city yeah, and then you play tic-tac-toe with them. Yeah. And then you take the resources and then you build your night market and that's you have right. the night phase. Yep. then you're playing a prototype. That was cool. Yeah. 
Are, with the number of Kickstarters you've done now, you've obviously built up quite an audience, right? A following, I would say, yeah. probably over the years. Has that almost forced you now to kind of stick in that lane, right? Because no, if you, I don't... for instance, if you come with RPG, like that's a completely different audience than what you've already built. Co- correct. Right. So we that and and that's something we talk about a lot, right? So yeah. you have so take for instance, Gamelin Games. They make Tiny Epic. Now they do different versions of Tiny Epic, but they're yeah. always Tiny Epic. So Eric and I talk about that, but we don't want to be kind of pigeonholed into one thing. So we do have some other stuff that's out there, like um, mixtape, for instance. That game's uh, done, um, and it's cards, card game uh, that you're making a mixtape for your crush, uh, and you're recording. <laughs> it kind of has some cool mechanics where you record songs on the A side and the B yeah. side, and when you flip your tape, you gate those powers. So I'm gonna, I might have two songs on my A side. I'm gonna record at the B side. I flip my tape, and boom, I trigger my powers. And then I record on the B side. And I'm gonna go back to the A side, and every time I flip back and forth. I'm knocking off those powers of those songs. And once I have 10 songs recorded, game ends. Um, we have another one uh, that's in the works um, that's uh, arts done and everything, uh, Pinata Fiesta. And that's not, uh, it's candies in a grid and you're moving your llama, which is a pinata, and you're filling him with candy. So he takes candy in his stomach and there's like a little Tetris thing oh, to cool. move the candies down the stomach um jackie davis did the art for that it's awesome there's these like fluffy cool pinatas they're beautiful um and so we I, most of our games are in the euro line um it's a it's mechanics that i love that i understand well um it's funny because eric likes lighter games we like to play right mm-hmm. his favorite games and stuff like that um, and I like heavier games. So you couldn't put a game in front of me and say, well, this is too heavy for you, Wash. Um, no, because I want to learn it. I want to play it. Uh, Lacerda, I love Lacerda. I love uh, heavy stuff, too. So um, I don't know. The Euro market kind of gives you can have lighter stuff right in, in there. Um, you know, Shadow Network is that way. It has these Euro has worker placement, but you're running this spy network. Yeah. And uh if I could use the word bitching, the solo game in that, it, it people are going to get that and play it, and it takes solo gaming to a new level. Uh, that game, that solo version of that game. It has two missions, each with four scenarios, and it, that game is the no cell phone game, as we call it. Because when you're playing Shadow Network, you do not have time to get on your phone and check while someone else is taking their turn. Yeah. This game is like, you are just go, go, go. And that's hero we base. So I think most of our stuff leans that way. Yeah. Um, but we, we feel like we, you know, definitely have the chops, the designer, you know, circle group to do other stuff. And we have other things, um, that, uh, are not that, um, Kevin Russ, who did uh, Calico, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of people love. It's just tile laying. So he designed a game for us with uh, Josh Enris's uh, buddy, Java Express, where you're on the island of Java, moving coffee from the farms and stuff up at the where they've the plantation where they have the coffee down this railroad track down to the harbor. 
and you have a train board. And if you've ever played Moncala, yeah. uh, which is beans. Yep. So you, you have your train and you're moving coffee beans back and forth across your train car and their colors and you're matching. And every time you get to the locomotive, your train moves down the track. So, I mean, that has some Euro stuff in it, but Moncala is not a Euro uh, kind of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah. you know, kind of like its own track. thing. Yeah. So it's really weird. With uh, the consulting you guys are doing, so uh, I'd be remiss to say uh, uh, Lehman uh, from Mariposa connected you and I together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, kudos to him, shout out to, uh, to Lehman. We had a great, uh, great chat with him uh, last week. People could check that out on the podcast, go back to prior episodes. Um, how, did, how does that work with your company? So how have you guys kind of fit in kind of the consulting and, and, and how does that kind of play out for you? Sure. So something that we're super proud of as a company that we do that I feel a lot of other companies don't do. And I will tell you that Eric is the driving force on this. He's very passionate. So we sponsor Unpub, we sponsor uh, Spiel, we sponsor, we don't have, I mean, we're not a big rich company. Eric and I still work full-time gigs and a company doesn't make, I mean, there's not a lot of money in board games unless you're selling 60,000 board games, then you make some money. But yeah. otherwise, where we're at, no, uh, we do it blood, sweat and tears. Right. So um, something we're very passionate about is helping designers primarily and then other people. Um, so Eric mentors uh, two or three different designers in a like a year's time. Um, he'll start with them and then help them mentor them through their design process. Um, and we've signed a game or two through this process. Um, but, uh, that's kind of how it it comes. Dan Rice, who did trailblazer, uh, he's a local dude here, um, and plays in my game group and just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And was like, Hey, I want to do this. What do I need to do? Okay. Here's a list. Um, you know, I, I had help, I, you know, um, Patrick and, and Michael and uh, Seth and other people who were in the business before me to kind of help me. It's kind of one of those things like this is a pass down thing. Yeah, um, pay it forward. You, you, yeah. You, and you, you really, I don't want to, I don't want to be like a gatekeeper-y at all because we're not, but it, it's hard if you don't know the, the order or the, you know, get into the lane and how you're supposed yeah. to kind of do things. Um, uh, if you just said, here's a game, there's Kickstarter go. Um, there are people that do that. Um, but that's difficult, man. So being able to help people, uh, mentor people like Eric does mentors, designers, we mentor, uh, people who run Kickstarters, we help, um, help them, uh, they'll bring their games in to tabletop. We'll play them, give them feedback. Uh, we do a designer contract that's not signing their game, but we sign their game to a designer contract for a year mm-hmm. and we develop it with them and we play it with them and we bring other testers in to play it. And at the end of the year, they get to take everything that we worked on. So you're basically bringing them in, helping them develop their game to have more depth, more theme, more flavor. And then they go out into the world with their game and they, they've gotten it signed by other publishers. They've self-published. Um, and so 
and and we do this like nobody pays us to do it we just do it because oh, we so want to cool. help you know it's awesome so what's next on the docket for you guys i know when i looked at your your site there's again there's a list of 10 games that uh and then i think there's another five that said these are other ones that are even further away than that Mm. Out of everything you have, what's the next one that's coming? Like, what's the next Kickstarter that's coming? Sure. Salon de Paris will be the next Kickstarter, we hope, uh, 2023. So vinyl is about Next ready year. to go on the boat. Yeah. That'll that'll come in. Uh, and then Shadow Network and Top Pop. Man, the shutdown in China was brutal on us. Oh, yeah. Um, and our, <laughs> our manufacturer is in Shanghai. Oh, boy. So they're all over the place in China, but that just yeah. happened to where ours is, man. So it was, I mean, some people, they did it. They got like, dude, they shut our facility down for almost 12 weeks. Like yeah. nobody there. So, um, man, I keep having to go to my back and say just a little longer, just, I, and they've been awesome. I'm so blessed. They're, yeah. they're very understanding that, but man, I mean, that like set us back between COVID and then our, art problems with our artists and then the shutdown and all the shipping nightmares. So yeah. it's made it rough. So that's pushed our calendar back. So I think, I think people understand that though. Like I was just going through my list the other day of uh -huh. games I've backed, right. Where I'm like, mm, I know I've got a lot coming. I wonder kind of where they're at. Yeah. And there's at least six that were, that are late, right. That are the games yeah. I backed that I should have had by now. Go in the comments and I can see again, you know, trying to work through shutdowns in, in China and so forth to get the games here. So, you know, it's at least rough. I at least I know they're and I think that's what most people want to know is that someone's working on it and that they haven't just left it, right? So even little things saying, I'm still and I actually saw one of them where people are saying, Can you let us know if you're just alive? Right. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So, like that's all we want to know is that you're alive, right? So, you know, I think I think people understand as long as you're communicating to them and saying, Hey, look, um, you know, this is things out of our control, but we're on it and we're going to let you know as soon as we know something, but we just want to let you know, we're still here. I think at the end of the day, that's going to make 99% of the people happy uh, that uh, they just know that the game is going to still be coming. Right. Yeah. And, and that's something you work hard to communicate because you're, you're so thankful for the backers because oh, yeah. the games wouldn't get produced without them. And yeah. I, I can put that and say, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I'm sure they get, you know, tired of hearing it. I don't know. I, but how else do I convey that to them? When I meet them at cons, I'm like, you're awesome. Thank you for <laughs> the support. Uh, you know, yeah. what can I do to, to convey that to you? So Salon de Paris, we've had a long time. It got pushed. And then we're finally going to get that one out. It's a wonderful game, beautiful art. Uh, just a fantastically tight Euro game. And then Byline, which was just showcased at the UK Expo. Um, Derek uh, Zinery took it. And a lot of people were like, this is the game of my, this is my game of the con. So that was a lot of people that played it just absolutely loved it. Um, it is a fantastic game. Kind of takes a different look at worker placement because you're doing time. You're using mm -hmm. time management it's 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 really cool um and then we have uh mixtape which we will we're trying to really just produce and bring over and not kickstart just we would really like to just print that one and bring it um it's a four-person card game about you know making the tape for your crush 
and then um, Java Express will go. So we kind of we have those. Um, like every few there. months, there's a game coming. How do people yeah. how do people follow along? Is there like a, a somewhere they can go to sign up? Like, do they go to your website? Like, where do they go to kind of be in the know when these things are going to be released? Yeah, we have we have signups at our website. I will tell you. Um, I apologize to everybody. I suck with uh, the whole uh, email, our monthly newsletter. I'm not, I'm not, because we work full time, man. And then you're managing all these games. There's just two of us and just some things you can't, man, you know, you can't handle everything. So it's rough. Um, But yeah, if they sign up, the best thing to do is follow us on social media, like our Facebook page. That's what, a great way. And what's the handle? Is it Talent Strikes Studios? Yeah, yeah t- Talent Strikes. I think I've seen games somewhere too. So which, what's the handle? Is it Talent Strikes? Well, our, our website is Talent Strikes um, Games. Uh, dot games, right? Yeah. Um, so we got a dot games. But if you go on Facebook and you just type in Talent Strikes Studios, you can find us. Twitter is at Talent Strikes. And Instagram is uh, Talent Strikes Studios because Talent yeah. Strikes was already taken by someone else. Um, so there are, I mean, those platforms, obviously, um, we, we hit on those pretty regularly, uh, and Facebook, um, pretty regularly. And when we're ramping up to do a game, um, that's where we, uh, push the majority of our stuff. Um, and then our website as well, you can sign up there. And then once the Kickstarter page is up, you know, click to notify me kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we like to get that out there as well. So those kinds of things. And then um, you can just straight up email me at Jason at uh, talentstrikes.games or Eric at talentstrikes.games um, or hit me on Twitter or and Facebook Messenger. We answer those as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, all those work. Some people send messages through Kickstarter itself because you have the ability to message people that way. Yeah. Um, I don't care how you get a hold of me. I'll try to answer you right within a, within an applicable amount of time. Some people hit me on board game geek um, as well. Uh, I've been messaged there. So it doesn't matter, but uh, yeah, we we're always, we, we really want to try and get to that hundred thousand dollar mark. I mean, that's our next goal. Night market made 76 and or 78 and, We'd like to hit that $100,000 mark for Salon de Paris. Uh, the game is certainly worthy of it. And um, I know it would be a great thing for Merrick, the designer. He's been very patient through all this COVID nonsense and yeah. stuff that we've had to deal with. And, man, you know, I'm always so thankful um, that, you know, the people that are, we're involved with are healthy and well and um, you know, doing stuff on our, uh, you know, designers are, are well and, and, um, you know, Kickstarter is still a thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but like 2020 people are like, Oh, you know, is Kickstarter going to die and all this stuff. And, yeah. you know, I, I think it's great. People still have a healthy appetite for board games and want to play. Yeah, it's definitely alive and well. Um, and you know, I, I have no doubt that, uh, as, uh, we kind of come out the back end of this, that, uh, that six figure number will be, uh, will be achievable for you guys. And, uh, I'll be definitely rooting for you on this next game. Thanks, uh, man. I want to wish you all the best this coming year. Hey, eh, Jason. Thank you so much. All right. You take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. 
This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Thank you.